Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside the workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same. Well, welcome back, everyone. So one of my favorite subjects to study personally and to research is leadership. I personally try to serve my teams and use servant leadership principles on my projects as a project manager and also just as a leader in other places. And then in the last year or so, I actually talked to a careers counselor a few times and it was super helpful. I never thought it was something I needed and I started to understand the benefit of coaching So I'm really happy to have someone who knows a lot about both, the founder and CEO of Group 60, Darren Ranke. Hey, Darren. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? Doing great. It's nice and sunny out here in Southern California. Oh, nice. It's not that way in London, believe it or not. I know (laughs) we have a reputation and it's upholding for sure. (laughs) Cool. Well, Darren, do you want to just tell my listeners a little bit about uh, Group 60 and about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So I founded Group 16 in 2010. We are an executive coaching and training company. We work with mid-level executives all the way up to senior level executives. And really, our focus is developing leaders from the inside out, because what we've seen is that many times leadership development courses, books, etc., focus on this external part, which is behaviors that are visible. For example, people say, I want to be a better decision maker. I want to be able to hold my team accountable. I want to be better at assessing risk. But what what I haven't realized is that there's this parallel inner journey that it's about being more value centric, being able to persevere, fostering a greater sense of patience, dealing with fear, doubt, and uncertainty. And that journey, so to speak, really parallels that external journey. And, that, and you must have that if you want to be successful externally as a leader. That makes sense because I think a lot of times two people look at leaders as kind of not having some of those vulnerabilities or when they do have them, then they end up being a bad leader, essentially, you know, like, oh, they're only acting like this because they're threatened by me and stuff like that. So it makes sense as and that's someone who's not a leader looking at a leader, but that makes sense that you start from the inside out. Yes, Um, definitely. It's been a, a journey to get to that point and really if I go back, even thinking about how I got into executive coaching is that I started my career at Accenture, very much a strategist and strategy consultant, did my MBA at UC Berkeley. And what I saw over the years is that so many projects would just go into the ditch because of either underdeveloped leaders or leadership teams. And so I just saw that as a interesting opportunity. I had a mentor who was going through a coach training program. I thought that sounds kind of interesting. And I, I went through it and just found it to be incredibly beneficial at the time in terms of having better, more successful consulting projects, but realized that that was something I was personally passionate about and felt I had some some level of competency around it as well. And so that's likewise started around these external behavior changes that we were trying to foster in leaders. But what, what I realized was that that internal journey was really important. So we really focus on both of those areas. Cool. And before you had your company, which you have now, you we met when you were at Pro Flowers. Mm-hmm. So what was your kind of journey to go from working there and maybe your, a little bit about your role there and then to getting to where you decided to found your company? Yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a, a one-off if I go back to just even the starting my career at Accenture and have been on a bit of a 
career journey and why I can relate to a lot of people who are going through career transitions because I've done that myself. Growing up as a kid, my parents are both veterinarians and everyone asks, how's that possible? Yeah, they, they did meet in vet school. My sister is a dermatologist and realized I wanted a different path. So realized I didn't want to become an orthopedic surgeon halfway through college. So it took a job at Accenture to quote unquote, figure things out, got tremendous experience, learned about different industries and functions. Then I thought, okay, I'll go to business school. Then I'll really figure it out. Yeah, kind of figured it out. And then just dabbled in a bunch of things. I worked in consumer market, consumer product marketing at Neutrogena, worked in sales and marketing consultancy. And then I'd been doing a bunch of freelance consulting in 2007, 2008. And then as we all know, the world started to fall apart. Suddenly mm -hmm. projects were getting pushed out or getting canceled. So I took a job just as a way more just to, to pay bills for the time being and leveraged a lot of what I'd been doing, which is a lot of partnership development, partnership marketing. So that's what I did there. And then just when I left there in 2010, just wanted to create a consulting company at the time was focusing more on marketing. And what I realized is that was a tough place to compete and win, at least for me, I didn't have the digital skill set that's becoming so prevalent. So I went back to my roots a bit and started focusing more on strategy consulting, project management. And that's where I had that aha moment where I started to see these projects just fall apart. And so this executive coaching, I layered that in. And then the, the firm has evolved from a marketing consultancy to a strategy consultancy, and now to an executive coaching and training company, just based on opportunity I saw, but also what I was personally passionate about just to make that difference in people's lives. So it it almost scratches that itch of having gone to medical school and helping people, but doing it in a very different context. Yeah, because it is, it's very important work because I think just when you look at employee satisfaction, for example, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times people just leave because of their boss. I've done that before. I've left a job just because I thought, well, I can't work for this person. We're not aligned. Either our values aren't aligned or something else is aligned. Usually values, I'm pretty much steadfast in what's important to me in certain ways. And so it's hard for me to work with someone where it's just not there at all. Um, do you find that you've had people come to you maybe because they need help with things like retention or what, what are things that people come to you that you're most excited to help them with? Yeah. Just before I do that, just, I forget who coined this phrase, but people don't quit companies. They quit bosses, they quit managers. And that's, that's mm -hmm. a, a very tough challenge. So yeah, definitely, especially pre-COVID, the market was so hot. The big challenge was how do we recruit, engage, retain, and develop our employees? It's a little bit of a different struggle now, although there's pockets that are doing really well and they still have issues with attrition. So absolutely, in terms of how can I be a better leader? How can I be more engaging? How can I develop my team? Because if you do that, you're going to create those connections. You're going to create that loyalty to have long-term employment. Obviously, we're in a much more fluid marketplace than we were, say, 40 years ago when people would have mm -hmm. a job. I think I have one friend who's still in the same job that he was right out of college, which is definitely an anomaly. But it's definitely a challenge for people and for companies as to how do we engage our, our people. And that's definitely can be beneficial in developing individual leaders so they can be more motivating, inspiring, more engaging, and to be a true developer of their people, to really be a coach of their people. Mm-hmm. Do you look back at all now and think, oh, had I known this kind of skill or maybe this way of doing things before things would have been different, maybe at Accenture or just previously? Does that ever happen to you? Absolutely. I mean, I've always had a an aptitude for developing people and mentoring people, but 
not being so aware of the importance of the soft skills. I know when I was at Accenture, there were four groups. There was process, strategy, technology, and change management. If you asked my 23-year-old self, which one was least like you? 100%, I would say change management. I was much more on the hard skills, all of those things. And having realized we're all running people businesses, regardless of whether we're a technology company, a manufacturer, a life sciences company, it really comes down to people. And that's how we unleash performance and how we create great products that can change the world, hopefully. But so, yeah, absolutely. To answer your question, so many things have I reflected back. I actually haven't reflected back like that. That's a great question. I'm going to have to do some some thought around that for some great examples. But I saw not very strong leaders that just didn't either inspire, they didn't delegate, they didn't develop me or others. I also luckily had some incredible bosses and mentors as well. So they they provided that almost North Star for who I wanted to become. But I also had some some not so positive examples of who I didn't want to become as well. Yeah, the it's funny to look back and to realize who's influenced your career either way, for sure, just influenced your mindset. I know at Pro Flowers, when I first started there, which this is so long ago now, I mean, it's about not quite 20 years ago, but a long time ago. And I was at first answering phones in customer service, which is not the easiest job. It was like the overnight shift. But I learned customer service from Doug Chaplin, who was the director at the time or manager of the call center. And then he kept going up. But I just learned so much about having respect for the caller and the person calling in. And we were treated with respect. And it was so different than any other service kind of job I had before. Mm -hmm. It made a difference. I mean, it's why I stayed there for 10 years or whatever, you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's how we engage internally with people is really, I forget, it's called the service profit chain is the, the relationships we have internally in companies are predictive of the relationships we have externally. So that's another reason why we want to develop people, develop teams is ultimately that's going to have an impact externally of how we engage with clients and customers. As far as like thinking about change management, actually, since you mentioned that, a lot of companies are going through a lot of change right now because of COVID. I mean, I I work in a job, my normal job where I'm remote all the time, our whole company is. So it's no change for us. But in dealing with clients, it's been a huge change for them, just people all being at home who normally weren't. Um, Are you seeing a lot of that? Like just how people needing help managing that kind of thing? Yeah, that's been a a huge challenge and definitely something that comes up with either new clients or existing clients is, is how do I actually lead remotely? Because so many people are used to being in within the four walls of a building, having that water cooler talk time, I guess the proverbial water cooler. I don't know how many mm-hmm. water coolers there are always, but <laughs> and just be able to, to drop by into people's offices. And there's some efficiencies to be gained for sure in terms of remote. You don't have those people dropping in all the time. At the same time, those just serendipitous conversations of, hey, can you give me some input on this wireframe or on this product I'm working on or on this sales presentation, et cetera? That doesn't happen. So you have to figure out how to be more intentional in terms of creating some of those opportunities to collaborate and innovate. But the biggest thing, I think, is that people need to learn a new way to communicate because I think we just naturally get lazy in terms of texting and if we're doing messages on Slack or whatever the, the platform is, is that people can become a little bit lazy and things get, as you know, so open to interpretation if you don't provide some of that veneer around things. So I've seen a lot of more conflict that happens between people and I've really encouraged people. And it's something I've realized in my own life is that words truly matter and probably now more than ever. 
And it's important the way you say things. It's not just the what you say, but it truly matters how you deliver that message. Because if it gets received poorly, now you have to spend all that time rebuilding that relationship. Mm-hmm. Plus, perhaps if it's to your direct reports, now they don't feel empowered, they don't feel engaged, they're going to perform poorly and maybe even leave the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, communication is such a tricky one because there are so many ways you can screw it up in a way. I think it's there's not as many ways that you can just do it well. It's just a matter of are you keeping people informed? Are you speaking kind of with intention and using, like you said, the words that you should be um it is tricky over chat too. I mean, that's the worst, you know, it's almost like if they send a GIF, you know, they're joking. If they don't, you're not sure kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And all the emojis and all that. And, and one thing I really learned and, and it came from, there's an assessment that we use with all of our clients called the strengths deployment inventory. And it really gets to what motivates you, but also what strengths you can use in a given situation. And one of the big ahas from that is that, People fundamentally are motivated by different things. They're motivated by performance. They want to move fast. They're motivated by process or by people. And by recognizing that, that people are different and receive things differently and need to receive things differently, that's that was really powerful for me. And whether you use the assessment or you don't, but recognizing someone really requires a lot of data, a lot of facts. They tend to be more methodical in how they proceed. That's a really powerful insight and people to recognize that Others don't necessarily want to be communicated with the same way that you like to be communicated with. So taking that extra time and effort to adapt your style is really important. And I can imagine people thinking, you know, rolling their eyes going, gosh, that, that just takes more time on my on my behalf. But at the end of the day, if you communicate more effectively, you're going to have better relationships. You're going to get that time back so many times over because you're going to have more collaborative partnerships and relationships. If you're a manager, you're going to develop your team more effectively. You're going to get so much more out of those teams and just, which is going to provide results in the marketplace. Yeah, that's true. And it does, it's, there's a few things I've seen kind of, it's you take the time up front and you get all the gains of that. If you kind of wait till there's a big conflict or wait till there's a big problem, you're going to spend all the time discussing that problem and kind of trying to figure out what you could have done better in the first place. And this mm-hmm. is something I think, yeah, people do communicate very differently or have different needs from a boss. hundred percent. I've found that sometimes there are trainings too, that don't recognize that. And it's just almost like an, this one solution works for everybody and it just becomes a mistake. I mean, even with me, like as a project manager, I'll have different teams, different architects that will be kind of my counterpart. And they all work differently. And so if I try to just come in the same exact way and just talk to them the same, I'm going to get less results and it's going to be a harder project for both of us, really. Absolutely. And, and recognizing that is really important. But it it goes beyond just even communication. It's it's how do you develop people? People learn in different modalities. They're, some are more hands-on. Some can learn by just visual versus auditory. I mean, people just have different styles. And I think it's, people are motivated differently too. Some would like Mm. to be competitive and push, uh, you know, give them a thermometer, so to speak, like back in the war room days at pro flowers, but (laughs) give them something to aim for. And they'll really that'll resonate with them versus some people are more, they're just different in terms of what they need. Maybe need to be more methodical or creating even a roadmap for someone about how they're going to develop. And so it's, I think it's important just to think about other people's styles and personalities, just even beyond communication, but how you develop people and so forth. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think too, 
even someone who's not necessarily a, a people leader as far as their job title and maybe they don't have a team, I think there's still a benefit to understanding leadership skills and still being a like a leader amongst your peers. Do you ever work with people who are kind of in that situation versus leading people? And does that vary how you work with them? Yeah, it, it tends to be the coaching work because it's so time intensive. It tends to be more of leadership, but we do do training with um, people that are more that don't have any direct reports that are individual contributors. But it, the same thing applies. Communication is communication. We're all at the end of the day human beings, and tailoring your communication to different styles is is really really important. Whether you're a manager, you're talking to the person next to you on a different team. So the same rules apply. I mean, you want to be more successful, more productive. Maybe you're not. Well, hopefully you're evaluated based on that, how much of it's not just what you get done, but how you do it. I mean, things mm-hmm. should be really important. But so, yeah, it's important for everyone. Of course, leaders impact can be amplified and also they're modeling the behaviors they want to see in their teams or need to see in their teams. So if you have a leader who's not doing that or they're communicating poorly or ineffectively that you're going to start to see that within your teams, too. Mm-hmm. I agree. And then they'll end up propagating that out to how they interact with people external to the company too, which. Yep, exactly. Usually where it becomes visible. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so you have a really exciting project that you've been working on a book. So can you talk a little bit about that? You can start with maybe the title. I like the title. Yeah. It's just the book title is called the savage leader, which is, uh, it's, it's intended to be, I guess I wanted to capture people's attention, but I think about the savage as, not this, um, you know, aggressive kind of archetype, but really about someone who's just bold and can take on new challenges. And it gets back to this whole developing leaders from the inside out and the topics, there's 13 principles and they start from becoming more value centric to authenticity, to how do you connect with your tribe through humility, curiosity, asking questions and really powerful listening, which is, which is important. And it talks about perseverance and patience. And so all these internal topics that you might not always associate with leadership, we think about risk management and communication and developing strategies. So super exciting. It's uh, my first book. I never fancied myself a writer and still don't consider myself a writer, but I had a, a friend of mine that gosh, about four years ago, we were having a conversation. She said, Darren, it sounds like you're going to write a book. I said, yeah, you know, I always thought maybe I'd write a book when I'm, you know, 85 years old, just reflecting, just, just, just at least capture my own life or my you know, kids and grandkids. But, and I, you know, would have different angst filled moments, you know, through my twenties and thirties where I'm going to write about some topic that I started writing some notes and got, I just don't have any energy for that. And what I realized is that it was a, a personal challenge to myself because I always struggled in college English, which it wasn't about writing in hindsight. It was about how do I analyze Kafka's metamorphosis or whatnot. And so <laughs> I had this negative thought in my head that I couldn't be a writer. And so it was, it was cool to, just to see someone provide that initial spark. And then I started writing. I got some input from friends and mentors and it evolved the structure. And once I started committing to clients that I was working on a book, then I was fully 10 toes in, so to speak. And I had I had to get this thing to the finish line. And I'm waiting to do a, the final proof of it now and then finalizing the the cover art and some other things to get this thing published on Amazon. So yeah, it's super exciting. It's um, a little nerve wracking too, because you put something out there and you know hopefully it's well received. But for me, the biggest reason was to challenge myself and do something that I didn't think I could do. 
but also to help people, to put things that I'm thinking about, things that I coach people about from my own stories, and as well as people that some of the remarkable people I've met along the way, and just putting that out into the world and hopefully it benefits people and they can learn from some of those lessons. That's, uh, that's great. And I know exactly what you mean. Kind of you said you're going to do it and you put a date out there kind of thing. And it's like, well, now I have to because people are going to start asking about this, this thing, right? This book. Um, I've set goals and done them that way. You know, well, I'm going to do this by this time. I did comedy, like I'm going to do comedy by the time I'm 40. So I had to, because it was just a thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So I totally get that. I think it helps just to like throw yourself off the cliff. You know, it's like, it's a great way to to commit to something. And I started some of the first people I told, I told my wife, some friends, obviously this person who sparked the original idea. I do a lot of um, volunteer coaching for the, an organization called the Honor Foundation, which is incredible, by the way, honor.org for people to get involved. But basically it helps Navy SEALs and other members of the special operations community transition into the workforce. So oh. I started I started telling some of these, you know, some of these Navy SEALs like, hey, I'm, I'm writing this book. And that's like, I can't be scared of publishing a book if, you know, to me, what, what they're dealing with is, is so much more scary to me, at least from my reference point, than, than anything that than writing a book. So it, it helped to do that. And then to actually commit to clients, then, then I was truly all in. Yeah, no, I think um, the potential for like humiliation or disappointing people is a great motivator, you know? Well, I mean, I, you doing stand up comedy, I mean, to me, I, I, I don't know. That's probably the very, very last thing I would do. I'd probably jump out of an airplane before I would do stand up. I've done that. And then I did that before the stand up. So it's actually, yeah, it's a little scary to go on stage. I agree with that. Really quick, talk about, and we'll go back to the book, but your volunteer work. So I want to hear a little bit more about that. So how did you get involved with, it was honor.org, you said? Honor.org. Yeah. So it's a San Diego based nonprofit called the Honor Foundation. Just incredible organization. I probably three or four years ago, I was meeting with two people that just, I saw them on LinkedIn. They were both involved with the Honor Foundation. One of them was leading it at the time. Another one I think was a, a volunteer coach. And I happened to have meetings three weeks apart from then. So I, I Googled the Honor Foundation. It's like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. I have always been deeply appreciative of what the military does and what it allows us to do mm -hmm. as, as Americans and, and as humans. And my grandfather was a World War II vet. And I remember always texting him on the big holidays, just how appreciative I was for what him and his his colleagues did uh, during World War II. And I, so I've always had a, a, you know, a desire to, or an appreciation for that. But also I always like to give back in some way. So I coach a lot of youth sports for my kids. Obviously it's a great way to spend time with my kids, but also I think there's so many lessons that, that I personally learned from sports and try to impart some of those lessons with kids. And, but I also like to volunteer outside of that. So I had a little bit of extra bandwidth, not really, but I, I wanted to, to do that. So I got involved. I happened to, um, to talk to Joe Lara, who's leading the honor foundation or is one of the main people there now. He was willing to talk over a weekend, which I thought was pretty remarkable for a nonprofit. You know, I thought that was pretty impressive. So we talked, he said, sounds like you'd be a great fit. We got a new cohort starting. So I jumped in and started coaching my first fellow that was going through the program. And now I think I've coached, I don't know, five or six people. It's just incredible because these guys in, are such overachievers or incredible just in terms of what they've done. But for me, I see it as clear as day, how they can add value to the civilian world. So my my job as I see it is to be that decoder ring, so to speak, for how you take what they did either during deployments or 
during training or how they lead people and motivate and inspire people and how that maps to the civilian world. So it's been truly just fulfilling. And I've learned probably more from them than I hopefully, hopefully they've learned something from me, but um, I've learned so much through the process of working with these amazing people. Hmm, that's, that's really cool. And I think, I mean, we've, well, I don't say we've all, because a lot of people probably haven't, but I know I've read a lot about just the transition back into civilian life. And um, I interviewed someone I know that works for um, the Life Aid Foundation. I said the name wrong, I'm sure, but they work with first responders and veterans also, but more on the level of like their mental health and physical health, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of that, that kind of issue. And I just... I think that's one thing. It's like someone goes and does all this work for the country, which I certainly didn't do. And I don't think I even had the physical ability to do, but then they come back and they're done. And then it's like, where do they fit in? Right. And where do they apply those skills, which are transferable, but it's a matter of knowing how, and I'm sure you lose some confidence too, like just going into a different kind of career. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. I think there's a little bit of imposter syndrome that they don't see necessarily how this applies. You know, I was talking to one person and they were in a, a graduate school class mm-hmm. and they're saying, I, I don't have any value to offer to this conversation. And these are people all working in cubicles, you know, talking about these business topics. I said, that is ridiculous. You know, I said, you have so much value to add. And I really encourage that. And then the other really big thing is that there is this sense of purpose that they have in their military. It's, you know, loyalty to the flag, but um, loyalty to the team. And they lose that sometimes in the corporate world. And some things that we try to do to, I learned from one of the other volunteer coaches at the Honor Foundation is is get them ready, that they're going to be in more of a petty backstabbing environment, which hopefully not all cultures are like that, but regardless, they're still different than what they experience where they have this strong sense of purpose. So the program is remarkable. And then it, it talks through, they go through developing their why statement and this really rigorous program so that the idea is that they don't just land a job, they land something that's truly fulfilling to them so that it's hopefully not they don't jump into a job and then they don't have fulfillment, but try to match that up to what they're really passionate about. So it's a, it's an arduous process and why I can personally relate not to the military part of it, but these constant transitions and you you doubt whether you can fit into this new role or this new type of industry or whatnot, but what I think is really neat, and I try to reflect back to them, is I had a conversation, I think, last week and said, look, now do you see how much value you could apply? Or the talk, talk to the person who actually was in that class and said, now that you've been in the business world, don't you see how much value you, you offered and could provide? He said, absolutely. So yeah. I think it, it's it's helpful to for them to learn to see those things and truly how they can plug in. And I, I've seen so much success. People land jobs at Airbnb, at Intuit, at Oracle, just all these great companies. Those are just the ones that I'm aware of, but, um, you know, consulting firms, it's really across the board that they've been able to assimilate and learn incredibly fast and add just huge amounts of value to their company, their companies and teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just, well, so we're recording this uh, Veterans Day week. And so we kind of acknowledged within our company who, who are veterans that people could send out pictures of their time during service and if they wanted to. And it was really cool just to see all the people who, you know, did have that first career and are now in, we're an IT company. So it's mostly, actually it's all developers at our company that are, we're in the service, but it is really cool. And it's just kind of neat to, 
you know, it's another part of diversifying your workforce. There are many different ways to do that, but that's one is like not having just the traditional, Oh, I went to school and then I ended up here consulting or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's really neat. That's great that you can help with that. Yeah. It's it's been fun and something I'll stay connected with. I try to also think about beyond helping individuals, how to create more awareness of the organization and just of these, of these folks to, and the value they can provide. So we've done some different events through my alumni association and, and had actually a, a a client of mine did an event for their customers where we had, um, three or four guys fly out and do basically a, a, a panel over dinner to talk about leadership. It just blew people's minds just to go, wow, this, how this really does apply. So it's, it's been, it's really, really neat. It's just been a, an honor and a privilege to be involved. Yeah, that's super. Well, thanks for sharing about that. So uh, let's go back to the book a little bit. What was the biggest fear that you had to overcome and, and putting the book together? You know, staring at that, that blinking cursor at the beginning, you know, I didn't, it's like, I wasn't unsure how to get started because I started writing and then uh, a friend and mentor of mine gave me some advice. I said, just write and then just print it out and put the papers on the ground and then just uh, organize the book that way. I didn't end up fully doing that because it it came together in a more orderly fashion because that's the way I was thinking about things. But so it wasn't so much finishing it. I mean, obviously committing to it, I guess it's, it's probably judgment, you know, and you put Mm -hmm. something out into the world and I go back to even my the first blog I posted on LinkedIn. And you know, I respect all the people that I've met over the years and different jobs and different experiences. And you start to push that out there. And it's like this opportunity to be judged. I'm sure for you, right? Doing stand-up, mm-hmm. you're judged every night very harshly. You don't make people laugh. They're going to, I don't know, throw tomatoes or whatever they do in, in stand-up. <laughs> there, just- yeah. Luckily on on Zoom, there aren't any uh, negative emojis to throw at you if you're doing virtual standup. But so I think I think that's probably it. And I through posting content and sharing it more, I became more and more comfortable with it. But yeah, I think just when it's out there, especially this won't just be the, you know, my own curated network of people. It's out there into the Amazon universe of people and expecting fully, you know, just to get slammed by people in reviews. But like I said, I come back to and just even back to my own purpose, which is just helping people and unleash their inner lion to be great. But if it helps some people, then it'll be worth it. Cool. And did you um, have any point where there was a writer's block issue during the writing of the book? Not really writer's block. It was more of just, as my friend and actually writing mentor, David Shapiro said, it's like when I sent him the first draft and he gave me a bunch of feedback that was really helpful, but it was kind of critical. And he's like, you know, it's like you push the rock up the hill and sorry, I didn't mean to push the boulder back down the hill, but that's kind (laughs) of going to be the process. And then I had some different people involved in editing and some required some pretty big structural changes. So it was like, you think you're done when you have the raw copy, but you're actually a long way from being done. So the editing process probably takes more than even the writing process. So, oh, so, yeah. so less writer's block and more of just, that's just the reality of the the book writing process. So that's anyway, it, it was challenging, but, um, and I was committed to the, to the end product. That's hard though, too. just getting, I don't know, just getting critical feedback is hard no matter what. And then when it's just all your work, you know, if I get feedback like about my team, maybe it's a shared you know, kind of thing where, well, okay, all of us could improve or something. I can deflect it a little bit, but when it's just your words and whatever, it's, it's tough to, to take. A hundred percent. And it's funny because 
I ask the people that I coach the same thing to overcome how to get through these self-limiting beliefs and doubts and fears. So it's like, you know, I'm going through the same journey as they are and I'm right there in the trenches with them. So, and I do try to, I share that more and more, but the other thing is the original impetus for the idea was that it would be all through interviews with different people and Mm -hmm. telling those anecdotes and then landing them when it's like, here's the leadership lesson. And I started to share more and more of my own stories. I just felt like I wanted to tell them whether it was cathartic or whether it was helpful or some combination thereof. But so it's been more me than I thought. It's definitely not all me at all. I mean, it's, it's based on interviews with people like with Navy SEALs, with Ironman triathlete, with successful Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who've exited to, to Google, to very successful e-commerce CEOs, to therapists, to sports coaches, professional athletes, just across the world. And, and people originally, I started, when I mentioned that, who is the types of folks I was interviewing, it's like, how is he going to thread the needle on this? And so it's kind of the way I see the world. I like to make connections between things that are not otherwise immediately obvious, kind of like connecting special operators into the civilian world. Same thing with how do you take a leadership lesson from an NBA player or a professional golfer or a therapist or an executive and how do you make that broadly applicable? So that's um, it was kind of a fun part of the, the book writing process. And one of the my writers suggested, hey, having a key takeaway after each story. So it's like, okay, I understand what the story meant and how it can be applied, but not everyone else will. So there's there's key takeaways at the end of each of these stories. So it's it's really driven through a narrative and through anecdotes, but landed with a key, key takeaway. There's a challenge at the end of each chapter so that people can actually apply it. Because I personally have a it's a pain point for me going to events or seminars or reading books or watching a video. There's no call to action. I'm inspired mm-hmm. for 20 minutes. And as soon as my phone rings, I totally forget about it. That's not totally true, but maybe 72 hours, maybe longer in some cases. And so I wanted to really make it practical for people. So that actually get some of the benefit of, of the lessons that they learned. That's, that's great. And I think it's going to, it sounds like it'll be a book that then since it involves a broad amount of people or a broad range of people that you spoke with and got anecdotes from, including your own anecdotes, it sounds like it'll hit a lot, a broad range too. Yeah. I mean, more of the intention wasn't so much to be applicable to those folks, but it, it's really, it's a, it's a book about leadership in, in general that I think is really mm-hmm. applicable to whether you're a CEO, you're a startup, you're, you know, a frontline employee, you know, you're a teacher, you're a volunteer. I think all of these things truly apply because we, we go through the same experience in terms of being able to to lead with more impact or desiring to be a leader. And you know, one of the things I, I framed up front, and this is true of the people that we coach, is that if you want to be a great leader, there's three things that you have to have. One, you have to have this just burning desire to be great. The second thing is you have to be willing to be introspective, which is challenging for a lot of people. And then third is how do you activate those two things, which is you have to be willing to put in the work because it's hard. It's hard to grow and to change. And it's, you know, without those three things, we don't take people on for coaching clients unless they have those, those three things. But also it's like, you need those to be able to apply the principles in the book or really anything in general with leadership. Like you don't just snap your fingers and behave differently. You have to learn through trial and error. You have to learn um, through reflection and experience. And, and hopefully you have either a mentor or a coach or someone who can give you that insight. That's a good point because it, and I've said this in conversation with the friends just about different other things, but it took a certain amount of time and investment of time to become a certain way. Right. So it'll take a certain amount of time to then change that, whatever it is. And whether it's 
you know, just you have a lot of negative qualities as a leader or you're a leader, but you have things to improve. It takes, it does take time and work. Yeah. And whether it's nature or nurture, you know, I'm not a psychologist per se. So, but yeah, people do have things that are ingrained in them. And I tend to see the world very optimistically and I think everyone can change. Maybe they can't change from, you know, 10% to a hundred percent, but more optimistic probably than most people. And if they have those three things, those three attributes, they're willing to do those things. Then I think people can make big changes, but it takes time. It takes time. It takes effort. It's not always easy. Okay. I'm just going to be bold and take risks. Then you go and you fail right out of the gate. It's like, how do you get back up again? And that's what there's so many of these stories are about is, is most people see successful people and they don't see all the challenges they faced along the way, all the hard prep work that they did. And it's just, it's tough. I mean, it, it takes a long time, whether it's to build a company, to build a career, to build a life, build a family, build a school, and requires a lot of challenges and to grow and to constantly get better. Do you remember as far as like when you've had your first mentor and how that relationship happened? And is it someone you're still in touch with in business? Yeah, my first mentor was, um, you know, my childhood friend. And actually, as I was making that pivot from pre-med to going to this nebulous world of business, I remember going and speaking with him. He's a very high-level executive of a, a large bank. And he said, you know, Darren, you know, stick with your major. He's like, our bank, we even hire hard science majors. And um, what I think you should look at is consulting and investment banking. It'll be the fastest way to learn about different industries and, and different things out in the business world and, and to develop some really tangible skills that you can bring throughout the, your entire career. And so that was incredibly valuable. Yeah, he's my best friend's dad. So I'll see him occasionally at, at weddings and different things. But, um, you know, shout out to Clyde for being an incredible mentor for me and also provide an example of what mentorship looks like, you know, which is probably actually, as I think about it, some of the early journey. I mean, also my uh, high school basketball coach, Steve Campania, who's incredible is in terms of bringing the most out of me. And I, I saw, you know, I was hardly a gifted basketball player, but I was able to have some success in a small league because, you know, he got us to believe in ourselves. He got us to understand the, the power of hard work and, yeah, so yeah, he's probably one of the first. And even going back beyond that, Roger Frenzy, who is a our little league coach, who who just really toughened us up and probably did things you can't do now. I remember we were missing ground balls, so we take our gloves off and hit ball, ground balls at us. And my son, who plays baseball, and I was asking both sons play baseball, he was saying, "Well, how hard did he hit this?" Well, not, not as hard as you think, but it definitely. He was a mentor. He believed in us. He toughened us up. And just he was probably one of the originals, actually, if I think about it. And then it's a lot through sports, but then through business. At Accenture, Mike Kobayashi was incredible. I learned the importance of your team and delegating to your team. And basically, you, know, you live and die by your team. But you can't just delegate. You can't just chuck it over the wall. But you got to do the work in advance to actually develop them and, and make them feel empowered. And then a more recent mentor Annette Templeton, who was the person who inspired me to go into coaching. So she was going through this program and I thought, coach you, I'm like, it's good enough for Annette. It's good enough for me. She's fully vetted it. And it's been really transformative. So I, I try to give back and mentor people. I, I love working with people. And even as a, I think in college, I was giving a you know parent advice on what school to go to, what high school. I think they actually chose the, <laughs> the opposite advice of what I gave, but you know, <laughs> can always make great choices no i'm just kidding he made a great choice but uh so yeah so mentorship has been important from 
I guess, 11 years old from my first uh, Little League coach. That's cool. I I have a few mentors that maybe we're not in touch anymore, or maybe we are, but I've always found that it's important to identify those people either in your company or life, kind of like you have. You've just kind of demonstrated they can be in all parts of your life, but mm-hmm. I've always found that important too, and I encourage other people. It's weird when I find out I'm a mentor to someone because it's not like a formal thing you set up necessarily. It just kind of happens. You know, mm-hmm. you see the person as a mentor. I'm like, well, I don't know if I should be your mentor, but thanks for, you know, asking my advice. Um, but yeah, I think it's invaluable, right? Yeah. And something I've learned from Keith Ferrazzi, who's also been a mentor of mine as well, is that asking someone to be a mentor is actually kind of an act of generosity. You know, it's it's like a admiration of them. And so that that kind of helped shift for me in terms of reaching out to people and asking for help. But um yeah, it's really powerful just in terms of having that input. But I think it's important, as you said, to have different types of mentors. When I do my goals for every year, so I've got goals that are business, that are um, health and fitness, et cetera, family related, I actually send those goals or a subset to different people. So someone who's more focused on fitness that can hold me accountable for those things, people who are entrepreneurs. So I like to share those goals with people and just say, hey, you know, please hit me up every month or every week and go, hey, D, how you doing? Like, how's your how's your fitness level or uh, time with family and all those kinds of things. So I think that's, those are kind of mentors, more accountability partners, but there's definitely things that I like to learn from different people who are better than me in in a lot of areas. Oh, I like that idea. And that might be helpful to people listening. We have the new year coming up pretty imminently really now in the context of this year having (laughs) gone the way it has. So um, crazy. Yeah, it is right. I can't believe it's already November. So um, that's a good, that's some good advice there on goals and how to be, be held accountable for them. Um, do you have any, like you've shared a lot, but do you have any like advice or a mantra that you like to just share with people or that you always go back to for yourself? Yeah, I have a lot of different mantras that are in my, that are in my phone that, that go at, at five o'clock when I generally wake up. And unfortunately when I not setting the alarm for five on a Saturday, they, they pop up and wake me up anyway. But, <laughs> you know, um, one of them is, and this is way too aspirational, but I believe that every day there's an opportunity to get better in every way, which just sounds like way too optimistic. But I do think there's a, there's an opportunity to, to constantly grow and get better. And I just, you know, I'm on this journey to, I don't know what the end state is. There's always going to be another there, right? And so many people are so stressed out about the next destination and, and not thinking that once they get there, they're going to go to somewhere else. So I think just this constant drive to try to improve and not in like an, an unhealthy way where it's ne- you're never satisfied, but just trying to look for small ways to to be more attentive to your kids or to be a better boss or a colleague or community citizen. I think there's just so many opportunities for us to 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 be better, you know, especially now when there's so much conflict and people with differing opinions on things and just to try to learn to connect and, and be better humans ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're right. I think that people, it, it doesn't always have to be a big change. It can just be even reaching out and saying hello to someone. And that's just being a better friend because maybe they're a friend you haven't reached out to in months or something, you know, that's. Yeah. And I think also, a word I've learned from uh, or used a lot with a client or they've used and I've picked it up is grace and giving yourself grace, you know, mm-hmm. just because you're going to fall short, you're not going to always be the best boss, the best leader. And just, you know, when you're trying to change, acknowledge the fact that you're, that you tried, 
not just the outcome of, of that change, which you're trying to seek to be, to have better developmental conversations with your team or to be a better listener with your kids and not having your, your iPhone where you're texting somebody where you're, what you should be listening about how their day was in my perspective and uh, <laughs> just giving yourself that pass because that's a, a big key to growing and getting better too, is if it's, it's not going to be perfect. And if people think they have to be perfect, they're going to quit after the first time, the first time they take a risk and they speak up in a meeting and they get shut down and they're just going to stop doing that. So like, oh, forget about that behavior. Let's put that back in the vault. But it's like growing and getting better, knowing you're going to make mistakes, picking yourself back up and trying again. Yeah. And hopefully people are extending grace to others. I think a lot of times we do that for others, but not ourselves. So that's a great, I mean, that's a great point. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell people or some of the coaching conversations, if they're managing people is you have the kind of the pre setup for a conversation, the actual conversation, the follow-up. And in that initial piece of your, you're managing someone for the first time is talk to them about what your intentions are. Go, look, you know, we're really busy right now. And I don't, I may come across as being short with you. My intention is not that I want to be generous. I want to be there. I want to be supportive of you. And that'll help them extend grace back to you as well. So that's something that, especially now with there's so many challenges, people are working you know, people are lucky enough to have jobs or are working harder than ever, uh, maybe for less money in, in many cases. And there's just more stress. There's stress of COVID and the health risks and all that. So it's just important. I think it's a great point is extend people grace, you know, whether it's someone you work with or someone who has a different perspective than you. Awesome. Well, so I have um, a series of questions I like to do called the fun five. They're intended to be fun. So hopefully they don't stress you out. Um, I've had different results. And so we'll just go through those. What's the oldest t-shirt that you have and still wear? The oldest t-shirt. I used to have one that was uh, Westminster Woods Camp from a kid. I'm not sure what that is. My my dad, who's the opposite of a pack rat, probably chucked it and had holes. But it used to go down to my <laughs> ankles, and then it was a like an adult fitting t-shirt. That one I don't know. I do have one. Uh, my grandfather had his, this building named after his uncle, uh, Uncle Ed, the D- Department of Ag at University of Idaho. So I still have some of those t-shirts, and those are probably 25 years old, something like that. That's awesome. That's great. Okay. Um, so one thing people are saying, especially about 2020, is that it's like Groundhog's Day. For a lot of people, it's like the same day every day, right? So if your alarm, instead of playing some kind of mantra, if your alarm was actually playing a song every morning, what song would that be? Um, that's funny. That's a good question. So I've joked this year, maybe not joked, is it feels like getting punched in the face a million times. I feel like I'm Glass Joe from Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, which is a definitely an 80s <laughs> reference from Nintendo. I guess maybe Hit Me Baby One More Time, Britney Spears. <laughs> Every morning. Great. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. There was this, um, I don't know, this song that just it was on the radio every, t- every day freshman year. Um, and it was like a slow jam, but it's, it's still it's in my head all the time. But yeah, Hit Me Baby One More Time. All right, let's go with that. Cool. Uh, so coffee or tea or neither? Coffee. Easy. I've had no tea answers yet. So that's interesting. All right. And do you take it black or how do you take your coffee? Does that make kind of a homemade little latte? So I heat my milk up and add some syrup to it, add some coffee, whipped cream. If I need a little positive boost for the day, I put sprinkles on. So it'll oh, be nice. like the holiday theme. So yeah, it's kind of like a homemade latte so yeah definitely boosts my spirits at the the early mornings oh that's really nice actually uh when was the last time you like laughed so hard you cried or just couldn't stop 
by the time you remember? Probably just with good friends, you know, some of my original high school crew and then um, some that I've met after that, which have been part of kind of joined that high school crew. And I'm looking forward to seeing them on Thanksgiving, socially distanced oh, outside, of course. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember a specific moment. Also some movies too, you know, anything with like Ben Stiller, Owen Wilson, it's just like <laughs> all just start bursting out laughing. So yeah, you can't help it with those guys. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And the last of the five, uh, who inspires you right now? Who inspires me? A lot of people. I mean, I think my dad in so many ways, because of what he's able to do, he's completely self-made, you know, his parents, uh, didn't go, I don't think he even finished high school, put himself through school, uh, became a veterinarian, started a practice, sold his company to private equity and learned. I think the most impressive thing to me is he just, he self-taught himself things about the stock markets in business. And he's got just an incredibly sharp business acumen. And just, and I think that's probably, I should think about it. He's such a, like a lifelong learner. He's always texting me articles and whatnot. So he's definitely for sure just inspires me. Of course, my mom just has been so impressionable with me and she was the one who said, Darren, be a leader. So mm-hmm. that was the, ver- the very first notion of what it meant to be a leader. I don't think I really conceptualized what that was at the time, but so anyway, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but yeah, my dad, in terms of just what he's been able to do, but just how he consistently, consistently grows and challenges himself. Cool. Great. Well, Darren, this has been a lot of fun. I'm really, I'm looking forward to the book for sure. So I think it's going to be a good one to read over the new years, I guess, in that time. Oh, thank you. Um, do you have anything you want to promote? We'll have a link to um, a few things, your company, and I'll link the organization to the honor.org there anything you want to just leave us with yeah if you want to learn more about the book we've got a, a pre-sign up we're going to be adding a a free chapter and introduction just to give people a taste so go to the savageleader.com and it redirects to a page on the website our corporate site for executive coaching and training is group 60.com group and then 60 spelled out s-i-x-t-y.com cool all right well thanks darren yeah thank you so much Thanks for joining me this week. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. The music you're probably moving to by now is by Joe Mafia. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. And Rob Meckie is responsible for our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let us know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining yourself outside of work at More Than Work Pod on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Give us a follow. Or visit our website at RobbiaSaid.com. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to More Than Work. We'll be back next week with another guest. In the meantime, while being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself. 